I'm Pastor Michael Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So there was a problem with the recording on Sunday. So I am re-recording Sunday's sermon here in my home office. So I'll do my best to uh, represent what I preached. But of course, because I'm redoing it, it's going to be a little bit different than from what you heard on Sunday. With that said, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Our text this morning that we're going to be looking at is from 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The other day, Shantae and I packed up the kids in the car and drove to Target. We put Sophia in her stroller, and after we walked to the front door, I grabbed the cart and I put Isaac in the seat. Because if I don't, two things are going to happen. Either he will run away, or his bones will turn into rubber and he'll lay down on the ground. And we were there for about three minutes when Isaac looked and said, Daddy, can we go home now? And I looked down at him and I said, No, son, because we need to buy some things here first, then we'll go home, okay? To which he replied, Okay, Dad. A moment later, we were in an aisle looking at glasses, and he said again, Can we go home now, Dad? And I replied, No, no, we can't, Isaac. Just be patient. After we're done here, then we can go home. This continued a few times and became increasingly more annoying. (laughs) Eventually, we did leave, all of us a bit frustrated. Isaac, that that we were there for so long and he had to be patient. Shantae and I, because our son was being a kid. And Sophia, well, she slept and cooed, so she didn't really care one way or the other. Although Isaac asked over and over again to go home, I kept saying no until it was the right time. The time to go home was coming, even if it wasn't coming fast enough for Isaac. What looked to him like mom and dad dawdling was, in fact, mom and dad accomplishing their task. What looked to him as inactivity was, in actuality, work. And when I read this passage from St. Peter, this popped into my head because we see something profound about the patience of God. Far from being a parent that gets frustrated easily, God's patience runs deep. And it is something quite different than the patience of humanity, and it's demonstrated through what often can look like inactivity. There's a common misconception that people come to when they read scripture, particularly the Old Testament. They see God as a very angry person, quick to punish and to cause affliction. But this view of God is in fact not correct, because we see in the Old Testament God over and over again 
being gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Psalm 145, 8-9 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Lamentations 3, 22-23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end, that they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Joel 2.13 says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So we see God is not a bloodthirsty, angry tyrant. God loves us and desires our repentance and our restoration. And it's important to start here because the God of the Old Testament is the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose scripture reminds us is the same and unchanging. We also have seen over the past few weeks in the in the readings and the sermons that the uh, dealing with the certainty of the return of Christ and uh, at his return also called the day of the lord some will be ushered into everlasting life and others into everlasting death let's talk a little bit about scoffers so before what we deal uh, with what's going on in the reading from 2 Peter we need to see see some context here so earlier in the chapter he noted the reason for his letter to stir them up by reminding them of the predictions of the prophets and the apostles. And these predictions are that scoffers are going to show up, and these scoffers are going to question Christ's coming. So we know that scoffers are those who mock. Scoffers are those who teach false things. And St. Peter, he's reminding them that scoffers are going to rise up, predicted by both the prophets and by the followers of Jesus the apostles. And these scoffers are going to be actively working against them by calling into question the sure promises of God. He says in verse 4, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And all of this will flow from their following their own sinful desires. And this is the scary thing we need to remember about sinful desire, is that it often masquerades as our heart's desire. Have you ever heard or received the advice, just follow your heart. Whenever you have a difficult decision, maybe about a relationship or, or a path that you need to take, has anyone ever told you that? Hey, it's okay. Just do what your heart tells you. Well, this, brothers and sisters, is terrible advice. Scripture reminds us, I believe it's in Jeremiah, he says that the heart is, de- is deceptively wicked above all things. Who can trust it? Now, I think he's using a bit of hyperbole there to make a point that the heart is wicked, that that wickedness is found in our hearts. And if that's the case, then maybe our hearts are not the best guide for us because our heart's true desire can only be found in Christ. It can only be found in our union with God. It cannot be found in what God has called sin. And anything being called sin makes us mad because how can anything our heart wants be sinful? After all, aren't all desires natural? Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Our justification before God is the reordering of ourselves and the reordering of our desires. And the Christian life revolves around us taking those desires, often called the passions, and aligning them with Christ. God, like in creation, is taking the swirling chaos within us and is bringing peace and order out of it. 
St. Peter then says that the world is stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. That leads us then into what he says in today's reading. The scoffers are calling Christ's return into question, and their proof, so to speak, is the fact that it has been a long time coming, and it still looks like nothing is going to happen. God looks inactive. And so if that's the case, if God is inactive, then it throws into question everything the apostles proclaimed about Jesus. Everything that St. Peter preached to them is called into question. But what he does is he reminds them, quoting from Psalm 90 verse 4, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. Now many have looked at this and said, aha, we can use this for our equations to try and figure out when the return is happening. Well, this is wrong, and not what St. Peter is getting at. What he's trying to show them is explained well by St. Bede the Venerable. What we regard as long or short is all the same to God. In other words, what seems like a large amount of time to us may seem to God like a blip. And I think a funny way to illustrate this is uh, in the book The Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by Lewis. And in it, the Pevensey children... They go to Narnia as children, and what happens is throughout the story, they, they actually grow up into adults. And one day, as full-grown adults, they're on a hunt, and they they get off their horses because they find the lamppost, and they make their way through the woods, and they tumble out of the wardrobe, and they're children again. And then, when they return to Narnia and Prince Caspian, they return as children, and they find that thousands of years has passed, even though in their own time not much time has gone past. I think that's a funny but uh, an accurate way to, to, to think about God's relationship with time. Like God's relationship to time is different than ours because time is something that we are constrained by, but, but God is not. God is above. I, maybe it's safe to even say that time exists in God, not outside of God. So let's talk about patience and inactivity. So we see right away here in this reading the reason for why it looks like God is inactive. Well, God actually isn't inactive. There's something else going on. In fact, God is at work. The reason why the day of the Lord has not come isn't because God is not going to keep his promise. The reason is that God's patience is withholding the day of the Lord. Because, as Peter says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, this is a big deal because it means the scoffers are completely wrong. They are using the seeming delay of the coming day of the Lord to live in sin and to do what they want. But the day of the Lord is not delayed. It will happen at the right time, right? It's like in, in the movie, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, right? Gandalf is, is, is riding into the Shire and Frodo gets on the cart with him and says, You're late. And Gandalf looks at him and says, Frodo Baggins, a wizard, is never early nor is he late. He arrives precisely when he means to. So it's for the benefit of humanity, then, that God is patient. And this is, can be sound like a paradox, because although I think God's patience is inexhaustible, there will be a time when that patience is filled up. His patience and forbearance are important, because once it's time, then everything will pass away. Just as the earth was destroyed by water in the time of Noah, St. Peter says that the heavens and the heavenly bodies will be burnt away. But he doesn't say that the earth will be burnt away. He says the works done on it will be exposed. Now we should note here that the verse 10 is called by the NET Bible one of the most difficult textual problems in the New Testament, which is why some Bibles, I believe like the King James, say it will be burnt away. 
But the translators note that the meaning of the text then is that all but the earth and mankind's works will be destroyed. Everything will be removed so that humanity will stand naked before God. And I think that this point of view is supported by a lot of other texts in Scripture as well, which is why I like, I, I agree with the reading we heard this morning that says that the works on the earth will be exposed. So what do you think will be exposed as well on that day? Well, not only our deeds, but also the deeds of the scoffers. Indeed, the works of every person will be laid bare in the sight of God to be judged. So in light of this, then, what are we to do? So St. Peter's people, their response to what they're being told is to wait patiently and while waiting to live lives of holiness and godliness. He then says something interesting, hastening the coming of the day of God. Which leads us to ask the question, can we hasten the coming of Jesus? Can we get God to change his timetable? I, I don't think we can. And I think the pulpit commentary puts it best when it notes that as we live in lives of holiness and godliness, and as we spread the gospel of Jesus, then God's patience isn't necessary, his patience isn't necessary anymore because people are repenting and being brought into his kingdom. And the more people who repent, the less patience is required because God's purpose of desiring the repentance of everyone is being fulfilled. This does not mean, though, that every person will repent, though. God desires it, but many will scoff and bar themselves from life on the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. Thinking about this, I, I could be wrong, but I, I believe it's St. John Chrysostom who talks about the difference between God's will of desire and God's will of command, because we ask ourselves, well, if God desires something, doesn't it become so? Doesn't God cause what he desires to be. And I think it's Chrysostom. He, he makes this distinction between God's, uh, God's will of desire versus God's will of command. God's will of command is what God desires, which he then makes happen. But God's uh, will of desire uh, would be something that God wants, but does not take active steps to make happen. And I think that this falls in line with human freedom. So that means that there will be people who will not come to repentance. There will come a time at the day of the Lord when the Lord returns where we will be judged. And we know this from countless texts in the New Testament. And I'm thinking of the one we read a few weeks ago, the separation of the sheep and of the goats. So it's imperative that we can live lives opposite from the scoffers. And the scoffers can take many, many forms. People who we might not think. But these people, these scoffers, they heap fire upon themselves. right? And I'm thinking specifically of scoffers who may even be clergy who tell us it's okay to live and to act and to do things contrary to the revealed will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the commands of the Lord is laid out for us in Scripture and the history of the church. And there are other scoffers as well, people who deny the resurrection of our Lord, people who not only deny his coming, but uh, his second coming, but deny his first coming. So if the Lord never came, and indeed if he, may, if he didn't even exist, he's just a story, then it doesn't matter how we live our lives. We can do what we want. These people, brothers and sisters, are scoffers. So this Advent season, let us live soberly, not taking advantage of our Lord's patience. Let us not presume on our Lord's patience, but let us live prepared. 
like the virgins who brought extra oil for the coming return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a final note on the scoffers. I was reading a book, um, a devotional during Advent by Father Thomas Hopko, and he he, he describes the scoffers perfectly, I think, when he says this. He says, They despise the light. They prefer their own blindness and the delusions that they themselves create. They want to make up their own version of things they want, most specifically to fashion their own images of themselves. They want to see themselves not as they really are, but as they wish themselves to be. And together with this, they want a version of others which confirms their own opinion of themselves. If this does not sound like our own day and time, I don't know what does. And most especially, they want an image of God that they can handle and manipulate to serve their deluded and illusory purposes for their own profit and pleasure. Lovers of darkness, therefore, are fundamentally liars and idolaters. They are liars about themselves and about God. They make their own gods and then fashion themselves in the images and likenesses of the gods they have made. So, brothers and sisters, let us take this this encouragement and this warning from St. Peter that unlike the scoffers, let us trust in the Lord's promises and live lives of holiness and lives of godliness because the day is coming and let us be prepared and ready for the coming return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to whom is due all glory together with his Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Landsman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malandsman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.